Psalm chapter 32 and verse number one. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, David is saying, when I did not confess my sin, when I covered my sin instead of letting God cover it, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. In fact, when you read the Psalms that David wrote about his confession of sin and you read the penitential Psalms where he is confessing to God his sin, you'll find out it affected him all the way down to his very bones. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah, for this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. The Bible said, surely in the floods of great waters, they shall not come nigh unto him. If you believe in Mark in your Bible, I encourage you to circle that word in verse six, godly. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee. What is David saying? He's saying that if you're gonna live a godly life, you're gonna have to confess your sin and deal with sin in your life. A godly person is a person that does not condone sin. A godly person is a person that does not cover up their sin and condone their sin and excuse their sin. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. You may be seated. Now I want you to notice here in your Bible, Psalm chapter 32, look at the inscription. We'll read the first two verses for emphasis tonight where the Bible said a Psalm of David. Maskeel, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity and in whose spirit there is no God. And I'm preaching tonight on this subject when sorrow turns to joy. When sorrow turns to joy. Let's pray. Father, as we bow our heads and our hearts, Lord, we want to thank you, God, for the morning service hour. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder from the book of Acts and the text that we read and 
preached about. Lord, thank you for the reminder of the miracle of God's grace in salvation. Thank you, God, tonight for the privilege to be back again this evening. I pray you touch those that are sick. Oh, God, be with those who are going through physical battles. Some are even fighting for their very life. Lord, I pray also that you'll shine upon the pages. Give the light of illumination as we handle God's book. Thank you for the joy that comes from a heart that has nothing between their soul and the Savior. Thank you for the reminder of how joy can be restored. And we see it here in this passage that we read just a moment ago. I pray that you'd captivate the mind and attention of those who are here. Lord, I pray that the Holy Ghost would take the message and he'll use it for the glory and honor of our Savior and to the good of every heart. Help us, I pray, as we preach it. Lord, illuminate our minds together as we open up God's book. Lord, open up our hearts and help us to understand what lessons you have for us. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. When I think back about this particular psalm, it is a sequel to Psalm chapter 51. David had gone as far as we can tell from the chronology of Scripture probably about a year. He had sinned against God. He had sinned against Uriah. He had sinned against Bathsheba. And he had done a very orchestrated and organized way of trying to cover up his own sin. And you know what took place in David's life? There came a day when the prophet Nathan came to the palace and asked for an audience with the king, which seems to indicate David had a good relationship with the man of God. And Nathan used a parable to describe to David a story about a man and his one little lamb and about another man that had a whole flock of sheep. And somehow this man came and took this man's little pet lamb away and took advantage. And and David rose from his throne and said, no doubt with fire in his eyes, this man shall surely die. And he pronounced the judgment of God upon that man, not seeming to realize that Nathan was going to look back at him and say, thou art the man. And so David went some time without the experience of the joy of God's salvation. Now I want to say tonight, if you've ever really had spiritual joy, sacred joy, it's the joy of God's salvation. You know what it's like to have the bluebird of happiness to run out on the limb of your heart and start to sing amazing grace. You know what it's like to fly the flag of the king when the king is on the throne of your heart in the castle of God's amazing grace. And David had went without that joy. It went without the peace of knowing that his heart was right with God. I personally believe that David didn't get it back when the gate clicked there when Nathan left the palace. I don't believe the effects of sin that David had harbored left his heart immediately. I understood that God no doubt judicially dealt with his sin, but David no doubt went through some horrible days trying to get back to the place where he needed to be. Now I believe that Psalm 32 marks the very time when David's joy came back to his heart, when he got restored to the place where God desired for him to be. And so this particular Psalm begins with a beatitude. In fact, there's one in the first verse and 
one in the second verse. Blessed is he, the psalmist said, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And so Matthew's gospel and also Luke's gospel are not the only place that beatitudes are found in the scripture. In fact, there are seven of them in the book of the Revelation. John said, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Yea, from henceforth saith the Spirit that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. And so it begins with the beatitude and the psalm ends with a shout. Verse number 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice ye righteous and shout for joy all ye that are upright in heart. And so I praise God that when we look at this particular passage of scripture, that David reveals how a soul responds when they deal with sin and they get their heart right with God. This psalm is a psalm of instruction. The word maskeel means instruction. And the Bible tells us here in verse number eight, he said, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Now I'm going to say, if you're going to get the guidance of God, you're going to have to live in close fellowship with him. If you and I are going to be led by the shepherd, we're going to have to be an earshot of his voice. And the Bible said that God is desiring to instruct his people. The instruction David is lending to us is the misery of sin concealed. As I go across this country and as I preach revivals, I want to tell you there needs to be a revival of sacred joy in this hour. I don't know why people go to a ball game and scream like a Comanche Indian and they come to church and sit like a person that's staring at somebody that they had never ever seen before in their life. But you and I, if we're saying, you and I have the joy of God on the inside of our heart. And so the key idea in this psalm is the instruction concerning the misery sin brings to our heart when we conceal our sin and do not confess our sin when we cover our sin and do not turn from our sin. Now I want to say God can send the searchlight tonight and help us to confess our sin and forsake our sin. I preached a message some years ago from Proverbs 28, 13. The Bible said, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. You say, well, I know what their sin is. You don't need to be concerned about their sin. You need to be concerned about your sin. Oh, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. I preached on covered and uncovered. Uncovered and covered. You see, if you'll uncover it before God and confess it to him, then he'll cover it and put it in a place where it never can be found. But if you cover it up and you conceal it, then God will uncover it and he'll let the entire world know about it. And so this Psalm lends instruction concerning the misery of sin concealed and the blessedness of sin confessed and forgiven. And so David has given us his testimony as how God brought him back into fellowship and communion with himself. The most important thing tonight is that you and I are right with the holy God.
And the most important thing is if you can say, there's nothing between my soul and the Savior. There's no sin in my heart. There's no sin in my outward life. There's no sin in my daily practice. There's nothing in my life to keep me from having ongoing fellowship and communion with God. And G. Campbell Morgan said about this psalm, among all the psalms, there's none which touches deeper things in the life and soul and more perfectly reveals the methods of Jehovah in the matters of sin, sorrow, and goddess. He's ready to pardon. He's able to deliver and willing to God. And so this psalm gives us how sorrow can be turned into joy. Now, the Bible tells us this is a psalm of David. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul underscores this very thing in the Scripture. Romans 4 verse 6, even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. And so the, the inscription here in this passage in the Bible is confirmed in Romans chapter 4 and verse 6 to 8. That word mesquil is a transliterated term from the Hebrew inscription. In fact, there are 20 terms in the Psalms that, that are brought over from the Hebrew language and they're anglicized and placed into the text so you and I can have them. There are a number of mesquil Psalms in the scripture. These Psalms are Psalms of instruction. Now I want to say as long as you are in this world, you are going to need God to teach you in your walk with him. As long as you are here as a child of God, you're going to need the instruction of God and the help of God and the intervening power of God day by day in your life. There's 13 of these types of psalms in the Old Testament. I love certain ranges of psalms. and I love the wilderness psalms. I love these psalms. These mosquito psalms are amazing psalms as you study them. And Psalm 32 is not only a psalm of instruction, it's also what expositors call a penitential psalm. This is a psalm that expresses sorrow over sin. What has happened in our country? What has happened in his churches? I'll tell you what's happened. The preaching about sin has fallen by the wayside. The happiness philosophy has pervaded and uh, the success ideology has pervaded our mind and our thinking and men are more concerned about success in the world than they are holiness before God. Men are more concerned about men's approval and men's applause. Oh, I'm glad I had a funeral over that years ago in my life. I'm here tonight to preach the Bible. One of these days I got to face a holy and a righteous God. I can assure you tonight that is far more important than what you think about what I've got to say. And so Psalm 32 is a penitential psalm. There's seven of those in the Hebrew Psalter. These are from a heart that is penitent, one who's suffering pain or sorrow of heart on the account of their sins. One that is repenting of sin. One that is sorrowful on account of their transgressions. I want to say this. It seems obvious to me as I study, I said this before, that David's sins were far greater than Saul's. But the difference is, is that when God dealt with David 
David's life. He confessed and he forsook his sins. He didn't cling to them. He didn't justify them. Oh no, thank God he confessed and forsook his sins. And so this psalm tells us how that sorrow can turn to joy. I can assure you tonight that God is not sitting in heaven like a spoiled sport saying, well, I just hope they're miserable. I hope they're sad. I hope they don't have an ounce of joy in their life. No, but I'll tell you this. There is no joy where sin is allowed to thrive and sin is allowed to survive. And listen to this. If you didn't get anything from 1 Samuel chapter 12 this morning, you need to get this. Is that the only choice in the Christian life is obedience or rebellion. You're either obeying God or you're rebelling against God. And listen, God hadn't put his commands in the Bible like a buffet where you get to do the ones you want to do and you don't have to do the ones you don't want to do. Listen, God has put commands and when God said, thou shalt and thou shalt not, these are requirements of God. And so David is telling us here how to address sin, how to deal with sin. And so in the first verse, he tells us in verses one and two, the consciousness of sins forgiven. He tells us in verses three and four, the conviction of sin and how it's described. You know, I think that there are some people in our Baptist churches today that if they don't feel bad when they sin, they don't worry about it. I've had people tell me, well, I'm not really convicted over it. Now, that's not a problem with God. That's a problem with you. Don't tell us you're not convicted as if you think that means it's okay. There are scores of serial killers tonight that don't feel one thing in their mind or heart about killing and slaughtering and dismembering people. The light of conscience has gone out in their life. They don't think anything about it. And I want to tell you, if you and I fail God, if we sin against him, if we crossed his boundary, if we've omitted a requirement of holiness, if we've not done something that we know is right before God, then it ought to trouble our heart and our soul. And so look firstly with me tonight at the consciousness of sins forgiven. David approaches sin in two ways from this passage of scripture. First, it is described by him in the scripture and then he speaks of how it is dealt with by God. Now man may call it an accident. Well, I didn't really mean to, but God calls it an abomination. Man may call it a blunder, but God calls it a blight. Man may call it a mistake, and God calls it a misery. Now they're trying to reorient everything to do with sin in our society, to lower the idea that God is holy and that you and I are accountable to a holy and a righteous God. Oh, but I say tonight, God reveals not only how sin is described, but also how it is dealt with before God. Verse number six said this, for this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee. Everybody that attends church is not godly. A person may be good in light of what the world considers a good person. And a good person in light of the world is not a very good person at all in light of God's word. But you and I need to not only be concerned about being good, we ought to be more concerned about being a person that is godly 
before the Lord. And some people are satisfied with being just as good as the world, which is not very good at all. We're talking about a world that says it's okay for two men to lay down in the bed, have relations with each other, and call themselves a married couple. We're talking about a world that says that the genders that God made, male and female, no longer matter to our society. We're talking about a world that says that when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, it means absolutely nothing. I'm telling if your measuring stick is found in the world, then you need to measure yourself by a much higher standard, by a standard that is found in God's holy word. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee. Now I'm interested in being godly. That's what I'm interested in. I want my family to be a godly family. Want my wife to be a godly lady. When you see her on Monday, I want her to look just as godly as she looks tonight. And when you see me, I want you to say, my pastor is a godly man. And God gives description in the scripture about who the godly people are. And I don't want to just be good in the eyes of the world. I want to be a godly person. I want to be one that God recognizes as somebody who is godly. And David said here that a person that is godly is a person that'll deal with their sin. They'll confess it speedily. They won't cover it up. They won't condone it, but they'll confess their sin. They'll own it before God. They'll try to get their hearts spiritually right with God. A godly person is a person that lives a separated life unto God. Psalm chapter four, verse three. Notice what the Bible said in Psalm four, verse three. But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. God has set us apart. We are already set apart. Not only that, he has called us to be separate. He said, come out from among them and be a separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. You say, preacher, this is late preaching. No, this is Bible preaching. I'm not talking about a standard that fell by the wayside because you didn't like it. I'm talking about a standard that comes from God's book because it is right. I, I believe in living a separated life as a Christian. I believe that you and I are to be different from the world. I believe our lives ought to be distinct and separate. I believe when they look on you, ma'am, they ought to see a lady. I believe when they look on you, sir, they ought to see a man. And when they look at you, they ought not to mistake who you are for somebody else. I'm talking about being a godly person. A godly person is a saved person. A person cannot be godly unless they're saved. See, a lot of people don't want to be godly because they never have been saved. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. You see, that same grace that reached down and brought me out of sin and broke the chains of sin and set me free as a child of God. It's the same grace, my friend, that began to work on the inside of my heart and the chains that, that God brought about from the new birth. I, I want to tell you, it gave me a voracious desire for this holy Bible. It gave me a, a burning desire for the house of God. It gave me a desire to love the brethren. It gave me a burden to love sinners. It gave me what I needed on the inside to live for God. I'm telling you, a person that is godly is a person that has been saved. Now a person that is godly is a person that has been saved. A person that is godly is a person not only that has been saved, a person that is separated. We read that just a moment ago. Psalm 
chapter 4 and verse 3. A person that is godly is a person that deals with their sin through sacred supplication. Psalm 32 and verse 6. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Now listen, you can come to the place where you'll have to pray, but you may be like Achan. You may come to say, I have sinned and say it too late. You know, a lot of times I think people think that God is just twiddling his thumbs up in heaven. Just, you know, he's not really concerned about sin and the life or ungodliness. And it seems like from the pulpit to the pew, every week we're hearing shocking revelations of men of God who stood behind the sacred desk to try to lead a congregation and they're involved in sins that, that make the common man, not even say men, that make common men blush and common men hang their heads and say, oh God, just recently Dr. Bryant was telling us here last Sunday that a man who claimed to be an independent Baptist preacher had been carrying on a 10-year affair with another man, a homosexual relationship, a closeted relationship. A man like that is not only deceived, he's probably never has been genuinely born of God. I want to say to you tonight, a man or a woman that is godly, it's a person who lives a life that takes a stand against sin and wants to live a clean and a holy life. I'm preaching about a godly man and a godly woman's life. Not only does he lead a life of sacred supplication and dealing with sin in his life, but a godly man is a man also who serves the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28. We receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. You know why I'm not sitting across the street at the pub tonight? I don't have any desire to be there. I drank all the beer I wanted this week. You know why? I didn't want any. You know who put that woner inside of me like that? The Holy Ghost of God. I drank all the liquor I wanted this week. You know why I didn't drink any cause? I, I don't have any desire to drink any liquor. I want to finish well. I want to live a holy life. I, I don't want to have to face Christ. I have the judgment seat saying that I live a ramshackle life that I run fast and loose. I, oh no, I want to serve God acceptably. I want to hear well done when I get there. I want my life to be a holy life and a life that's filled with godliness. I want the God of heaven to smile upon my life. I want to live for him and honor him. Hallelujah. So I say tonight, a godly person is this kind of person, a person who serves God with reverence and godly fear. A godly person is a person, no doubt, that has to suffer in the course of serving God. Yea, and all that live, what'd you say? Godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you're one of those guys that likes a dirty joke every once in a while, you're probably not going to suffer much persecution. If you're one of those fellows that don't mind when they start using God's name in vain, you're probably not going to suffer much persecution. If you're one of these people that can lay down with the snakes and never seem to be bothered by people's wicked life, oh, I'm telling you, you're not going to suffer much persecution. But I'll tell you, if you raise the flag 
and say, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm a child of the Most High God. I got saved out of sin. I'm headed for heaven. I'm not headed for hell. I'm a person that desires to live a godly life. It's going to make a difference in the world in which you live if you've decided tonight that you are going to live a godly life for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to make a difference in your life in the long term. I walked out of the passage over here one day this week and a man saw me that has not seen me probably in well over 20 years. And when I think back about it, probably more than 30 years, he looked right in my eye and he said, Tommy Wenzel. And I really didn't know who I was talking to. That man was in the service the day I got saved. He was a young boy in the service the day I got saved. Remembers what God did in my life. And now, all of these years passed. The years have come and gone. And I'm thankful to be able to say tonight, I still stand where I stood when I started. I still believe the same things when I started out. And I'm not just talking about the verbal inspiration of the Bible and the the impeccability of Christ and the the return of Christ before the tribulation period. I'm not just talking about those doctrinal positions. I I still have the same standards. I I still walk the same line. And listen, I'm not mad at you if you don't live this exactly like I am. And I want to tell you this. When I get to heaven, I don't want people to look around and say, who is that? Oh, bless the name of God. I'm glad that I still stood down through the years and tried to keep I maintain a testimony before God. It's going to make a difference in the long term. If somebody sees you and say, hey, I remember you. We got back to Kannapolis here in 2004 and we were, we were in the Walmart over there. This lady come up to my wife and she said, I remember you. She said, you were that girl that went to A.L. Brown that wore dresses every day of her life. Said, I remember you carrying your Bible. I can't remember your name, but I remember you. And it had been years since she got out of high school. It had been years and she still carried the same testimony, still flies the same flag, still lives the same life. And listen, the world has every right to expect of us to be different than them. In fact, when they look on our lives, they ought to see an example of of a life that is lived clean. Oh, I can't seem to get beyond this tonight. I want to say by the grace of God, when I cross the finish line, I still want to have a testimony of being a person that lives a godly life, hallelujah. Oh, the Bible tells us here that David reveals how sin is described in this passage of scripture and how it is dealt with by God. A godly man, according to what the psalmist tells us, always deals with his sin before God. In this passage, David not only names his sin, He admits his guilt before God and he finds out how God is going to deal with him over his sin in this passage of scripture. Now, just in case you hadn't realized it, every person here sins every day of their life. Not because God wants you to, but because you are a fallen creature with a corrupt nature. You say, I'm not out here murdering people. That's not the only sin in the Bible. I'm not out here running around on my spouse. That's not the only sin in the Bible. In fact, it may be that you're sinning against God not because of what you are doing, 
but because of what you are not doing. Now, so David describes sin in his life in four different terms in this particular psalm. In fact, Psalm 32 verse 1 said, Blessed is he whose transgression, number one, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Verse 2, blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, number 3, and whose spirit there is no guile. There's four terms here the Holy Ghost gave to David by inspiration to declare to us and describe to us the sin that was in David's life. Let me ask you this. Have you sinned on Friday? Did you confess it? If you didn't confess it and forsake it, it's still on your account before God. I'm afraid that we have so dealt with sin in such a light manner in this hour that our people in our churches don't really think much of it at all. In fact, each of these descriptive terms allow us to see from different angles and from different aspects what David said he himself was guilty of. You see, I'm not guilty of what David was guilty of. Well, maybe not the adultery part, but all the rest of it you may be guilty of. And that is of covering your sin, whatever it is. Of excusing your sin, of condoning your sin, and of saying it doesn't really matter. Number one, look at your Bible, verse one. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. The word transgression means to pass over God's boundary. It means that you knew it was wrong but you did it anyway. This is a sin before God. The Bible tells us in 1 John 3 and verse 4 that sin is the transgression of the law. Transgression is the violation of a known principle. Well, I knew I should have done this or I knew I shouldn't. Well, the Bible said sin is transgression of the law. Now, you may excuse it and you may condone it, but God has not condoned sin in any way. David crossed over more than one moral boundary of God. David violated more than just one law of God. Not only that, he caused the enemies of God to blaspheme, but most importantly is that David transgressed the law of God. You and I that are here tonight have an obligation to live a clean and a righteous life. God has given us moral requirements in his book. He does not expect you and I to treat his law as if it does not matter. And I've talked to many Baptists who don't think really their sin is all that bad. Really, most of the time, because they think everybody else's sin is far worse than their sin. Now, I want to tell you this. You better look up here at this preacher and listen. When you get before God at the judgment seat of Christ, if you're really saved, you're going to answer for every single thing you've done in this life, good or bad. That's what the scripture said. You're going to have to answer to God for it. Every idle word that men shall speak the same shall they give an account of in the day of judgment. You think about the things you said that you shouldn't say. You just think about the blunderous things you said. You think about the times your tongue got the wagon like loose boards in an empty wagon. Flop, flop, flop like Dr. Ray used to say. Empty wagons make the most noise. Empty wagons. Yet God said you and I have to give an account of our lives and we ought not to cross his boundary. And then secondly here in the scripture in Psalm 32, the Bible calls this, the second term here is 
whose sin is covered. The word sin means to miss the mark. It means we fail to live up to God's requirement. And I want to say that every one of us fail the Lord and fail to reach the mark. Sin is either a positive act in which a known divine law is violated. This is what Webster said about it. If you look at it in the 1828 dictionary, Webster said this about sin. Sin is either a positive act in which a known divine law is violated. In other words, you lied, you knew you lied. And you said, well, it's no problem. When I hear people say, I just told them, I want to say, was what you told them true? Or did you just make up something to tell them? Did you tell the truth? No, tell the truth. Now, you don't, you don't have to tell sometimes everything that you know. If a person's ugly, you don't have to look at them and say, boy, she's beautiful. No, that's a lie. You don't have to say that. Sometimes you'd be better to be reserved in your comments than to tell a lie. Sin is either a, a positive act in which a known divine law is violated or it is the voluntary neglect to obey a positive command or rule of duty clearly implied in such command. In other words, sin is when you know it's wrong, you do it anyway. Then sin is also when you know it's right and you don't do it. Not only that, there's the word iniquity. The Bible said, blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. The word iniquity is a very powerful word. It refers to an inward lack of holiness. The Bible said, wash me truly from mine iniquity in Psalm 51. David said, God, there's a problem down on the inside of me. And I'm telling you, if you ever face yourself in the mirror of God's word, one of the things you'll come to realize is there is really no reason even now since you've been saved, you ought to go to heaven. Not as far as merit is concerned. You say, I've lived good. I've lived a good life. Well, pray for me, buddy. I look at myself in the mirror of God's word every week. I realize how much I fail him, how far I've come short of what he desires. And I'm not satisfied with where I am tonight. This word iniquity, the Bible said in Psalm 51, 5, behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me, meaning that you and I have a corrupt nature on the inside. Iniquity begins deep in our crooked, fallen human nature. It manifests itself in our behavior. Our crooked nature on the inside causes us to have crooked values. You probably wouldn't be. I'd say, I'd say you'd be surprised how many Baptists are standing at the convenience store scratching off them scratch-off tickets. Saw signs the other day in a store I was in where they, they want you to scratch them off back there where the scratch-off pad is so all that stuff don't land near the counter and dirty up the counter. Sadly, Christians today have so lowered the standard down so low that the world's not bothered at all by our life around them. They're not troubled by the fact you're a godly person because you're not living a godly life. Oh, help us here, Lord. You say, is it wrong to gamble? It surely is. You and I, our life's in the hands of God. 
our God's taking care of us. I'm not to play games of chance that my wife was talking about during the COVID crisis. She was working with those ladies, taking out meals out to those school children out in the neighborhoods. That said one of those ladies piled off the bus one day and she said, well, I'm going in the store. Somebody give me some money. I want to buy some lottery tickets. My wife said, I don't gamble. She said, that's fine. Got a handful of money from each one of them. They went in together on the lottery ticket. Somebody help me preach a little while. You say, are you against it? You better believe I am. It's a tax on the poor, and most of the people buying tickets not even really able to buy them anyhow. Education lottery. If you believe that, I need to talk to you about some investments after church tonight. Why are our kids that are in government instruction now, government schools, why are they coming home and saying, I need money for supplies? There's millions of dollars tied up in that crooked education lottery. And a lot of Baptists are playing it every week and playing a fool's game. Somebody help me preach a little while. The crooked nature on the inside of us causes us to have crooked values. Causes us to make crooked choices. Causes us to live crooked deeds. And iniquity implies a moral distortion. You see, when you get to this place in your life, you're not thinking clearly. You're not thinking clearly. In fact, your mind's so twisted up now. You think the problem in your life is because of somebody else. But the problem's not. The problem in my life, you know the biggest problem I got? When I go over there to the place where I'm living at and I walk in the bathroom in that big old four foot long mirror, I'm looking at the biggest problem I have. The biggest problem I have is Tommy Winslow. The biggest battle I face is my own problems on the inside. The biggest struggles I'm having is not you. The biggest struggles I'm having is that old corruption that is on the inside of me. So God said here that It's not only transgression and sin, it's iniquity. It's whatever's contrary to equity, justice, holiness, and righteousness. It's whatever is against God. It's whatever that keeps me from doing what God desires for me to do. Then number four is the word guile. The word guile. Now, it appears to me the first three terms describe the act, and the last one describes the attitude in relationship to sin. I can tell you that one of the greatest challenges I face as a revival preacher is this. If a church has real revival, it'll come when God's people first get honest with themselves about where they are with God. Listen, let me say this. It has nothing to do with how long you've been saved. You can be saved for 50 years and still be out of touch with God. You can be just backslid as a billy goat, as the old preachers used to say. Listen, you can be just as unconcerned as any person that is on their road to hell tonight in your heart and say, well, I've been saved. Listen, it doesn't matter how long you've been saved. I want to know how long you've been clean. How long has your life been right with God? Guile is deceit and hypocrisy. See, here's what sin does to us. When we let it in, when we let it reside in our heart, When we let sin begin to do its work on the inside of us, whatever it is, it could just be neglect. It could be you going day by day saying, well, I don't really feel like reading my Bible. It's really hard to read my Bible. No, it's going to be really hard when they take it away from you. That's what's going to be really hard. Oh, I don't really feel like praying today. I'm just going through a hard time. Well, let me tell you this. You're going to need the Bible no matter what day it is of the week. You say, do you always feel like reading it? No, I do not. But I always need to read it. 
So you always feel like praying? You always on the mountain? No, I'm not. No, there's days I don't feel like praying. And on those days, I don't do good at all. I can tell you this. On those days, I don't do good at all. On the days I don't really get in touch with God like I should, and I don't really feel like I touch heaven's throne and get in touch, I don't do good at all. Let me tell you what sin does. It begins to harden your heart. It begins to deceive your mind. So that you're sitting here tonight, and you're not right with God by any stretch of the imagination. But in your mind, you're okay. Oh, no, I, that preacher, he, he, he's just been hard on us. The only thing I'm doing is I'm just defining what the Bible said and applying what it means. Now, this term guile means deceit. It's when you believe the lie of Satan. It's when you believe his lie. Well, it's not really all that bad. I've been pastoring now. This is my 30th year. I've pastored people that were committing adultery that didn't say anything was wrong with it. When I say I pastored, I'm not using that as a badge of honor. I'm just saying they happened to be a part of the church that I was pastoring. As soon as I learned about it, I dealt with it. I said this here before in another message. I was preaching one Sunday morning, and we had a godly lady that sat on this side about halfway down. And I looked, and her adult daughter was there. And she was all the way on one side. I looked, and this man I'd never seen before was sitting on the other end of the pew. This lady was not a member of our church. Her mother was, and a very godly woman. Everybody funneled out and I, I came out of the church and I locked the doors and I rounded the corner to the parking lot. This lady who was married to another man is out in the parking lot hugging on this man that met her at church that day. And I looked right out and said, hey. I said, aren't you married, ma'am? I said, uh, it looks like you folks need a place to meet up. I said, you need to pick a different place because this is not the place for you to meet up. You got a husband, not only that, she had her kids with her that day, put them in the car, and it's out there in the parking lot hugging on some other man. You say, are you that kind of preacher? I'm not for it at all. I don't want that. If you don't deal with it, it'll come in and it'll take over. But hypocrisy and deceit begins to weave its way in our heart. David had now left behind the time when he had condoned his sin and covered his sin. And now he had confessed it to God. See, we have lied to ourselves, first of all, when we say our sin doesn't really matter. We've lied to ourselves if we say our sin does not matter. First of all, it matters to God. Secondly, it matters to ourselves. It's going to affect your life. You better think about what you're doing and the consequences of it because every sin has consequences that go with it. You and I have to say tonight, Lord... If I'm honest with myself and you, then I have been believing a false estimate of myself. You know how a person gets away from God? You know how they begin to get away from God? They begin to believe little by little that it's okay to do these things. And I've had them say, well, you know, preacher, when we get older, we just learn these things that we can do. And I said, yeah, you learned that you can drink liquor and beer. Is that what you're telling me? I said, it's okay. God said, it's okay for you to drink liquor and beer and become a drunkard. That's what you learned. I said, wherever you learned that, you didn't learn it from God because his word's against it. Don't excuse your sin. But here's what happens when your heart gets filled with guile, deceit, 
hypocrisy, that false estimate of what you're doing and who you are begins to take over. And then you say, well, it's really not all that bad. I've looked people in their eyes knowing exactly what they were doing and said, you're going to have to do something about this because you can't continue. I've told people in their, in their immediate presence, you can't keep your church membership and live this kind of life. Now that kind of preaching is way past in our generation. You know why? They want to keep ungodly people on the rolls. Why, why would anybody want to keep somebody who's ungodly? Why would anybody want to keep on the roll somebody who doesn't care about their life? While everybody else here is supporting the church with their time, their talent, their tithes, and their offerings, everybody else here is carrying the load, everybody else here is praying, sacrificing, living, and loving, and yet they want to keep people on the rolls who are ungodly and unholy and worldly and wicked. I say, no, we should never condone sin in the life. So David is saying, God, I've come to the place now where I'm completely honest with myself about myself and honest with you. I want you to think about this tonight. You see, God just wants you to tell him what it is and ask him to forgive you. God wants you to turn from him. Maybe the hardest thing for you to say tonight is to say to God, Lord, I'm sorry because I failed you in this regard. Lord, I'm sorry. And I'll tell you this, revival really takes place when sin is dealt with in our hearts and lives. You know, sometimes you've got just to say to the Lord, Lord, I've failed you in this area. Lord, this is where I've failed you. Lord, this is where I've sinned against you. Seven times in the Bible that phrase, I have sinned, is listed. I have sinned. Everybody that said it didn't mean it. Achan said it too late, and he died in the rock pile out there with his family. You and I are here tonight, and we need to be aware of this one thing. If we're going to live for God, we're going to have to be honest with God about ourselves. That's the only way sorrow can turn to joy because when, when we sin against God and God takes away the joy, you can blame it on everybody in the neighborhood and everybody in the country, but there's just one person that has to be blamed. That's the one you look at in the mirror every day. And I say tonight, may God help us to be godly people. This psalm tells us how sorrow can turn to joy. Stand with their heads bowed tonight. The musicians are going to come.